Sunday night service. We're glad you're with us. Our study tonight is going to come from Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 21. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. We're going to talk tonight about the last gasp of the city of man. The last gasp of the city of man. This is what the word of the Lord says. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, great and small. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and is righteous, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and his head, on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one, no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword from which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both great and small. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, 
and those who worshipped his image. And these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us understand. Lord, we thank you for the fact that your word is quick and powerful, sometimes convicting us of sin, sometimes encouraging us and always helping us. We pray that our faith might be strengthened today as we look into your word. Speak to us, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beginning in the Garden of Eden, two lines have been running through the story of humanity. The ungodly line of Cain and the godly line of Abel and later of Seth. The Bible teaches that these two lines form two cities on earth that are in conflict with each other. The city of man, also known as Babylon, and the city of God, also called Jerusalem or ultimately the New Jerusalem. Now the Bible carefully traces the conflict between these two cities from Genesis 4 all the way to its ultimate resolution in Revelation 19. And that's the plot line that we're concerned with as we open our Bibles to that chapter, Revelation 19, tonight. We have questions. How will the story of this conflict conclude? And will sin's entry into humanity ever be resolved? And will there come a time when the city of man will be finally dealt with? And the answers to our questions are going to be given to us tonight as we look into this chapter. The big idea we're dealing with is that the city of man will finally be judged when Christ returns. Now, four movements are going to occupy our thoughts in tonight's study. In verses 1 through 5, the idea is judgment is announced on the city of man. Then in verses 6 through 10, We're going to focus on the marriage celebration of the city of God. And then in verses 11 through 16, we're going to think about the return of the king. And finally, in verses 17 through 21, we're going to look at the last battle. So let's begin our study in verses 1 through 5, where we find judgment is announced on the city of man. These verses tell us that heaven will celebrate Babylon's demise when Christ returns. It says, After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah! The celebration of heaven. Why is heaven celebrating? Well, it says, Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. Why is that? because he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. The final judgment of the city of man has been announced from heaven, and all of heaven begins to celebrate because God is going to do justice on the city of man and the sin of man that has corrupted humanity ever since the Garden of Eden. Verse 3 tells us once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, 
small and great. You see, there's going to be rejoicing in heaven when the city of rebellion, the city of man, man who has rejected God's revelation of himself, rejected God's law, rejected God's truth, rejected God's grace, there's going to be celebration in heaven when God finally announces judgment on that city and everyone who has rejected his righteousness is going to be overthrown and that's going to happen when Jesus Christ returns. Now the city of man has two aspects that are particularly singled out for judgment because they've been so damaging to humanity. The first is false religion pictured earlier in the book of Revelation as the false prophet or the harlot. And the second is rebellious authority, human government, pictured as the beast or Babylon. Now, end-time prophecies give us to understand that these two entities are going, are, will be personified in specific individuals just before Christ returns, namely the Antichrist and an individual called the false prophet. Here's the thing. When Christ returns... He's going to bring judgment down finally on the city of man, and all of heaven is going to celebrate. The doctrinal point in these verses is that the age-old conflict between the city of God and the city of man is going to be finally and forever resolved when Jesus returns, and that is going to cause unbridled joy in heaven. Have you ever watched one of those movies that builds suspense up to a fever pitch? right to the end of the movie, you know. And at the last possible moment, when it looks like evil will certainly triumph, something wonderful happens. And the good guys win the day and ride off into the sunset as the heroic music swells to a crescendo in the background. And we all feel great about that, doesn't? don't we? When that happens, it makes us feel good. Well, you can feel good because... Welcome to the very last scene of the struggle between the city of man and the city of God. Our Bible tells us that just when it looks as if Satan and his forces are going to finally crush God's people, Christ will return and crush forever the city of man, and all heaven will break out in rejoicing. Who needs to hear this? Well, all who are in love with this present world more than with Jesus their Savior need to hear this. Strange as it may sound, many Christians need desperately to hear this word in our day. For many in our day are soundly in love with this present world. We hear more from them about the kingdoms of this world than about the kingdom of God. Time for recreation takes priority over time for the new creation. Facebook captures more of their attention than the faith book of God's Word. And though we've been warned against loving the world and the things that are in the world, many in our day seem strangely unaware of the disconnect between this biblical truth and the reality of their daily lives. Well, what about you? Do you spend more time listening to the news of this world than listening to God's voice in the Scriptures? Well, dear one, if that's your situation, let me just counsel you to beware. This world is rapidly drawing to its end. Make sure that yours will be one of the hearts that's rejoicing when the kingdom of man takes its last breath. 
verses 6 through 10 speak to us about the marriage celebration of the city of God. See, the bride of Christ, the city of God, will be married forever to her husband, Jesus, when Christ returns. And the bride will have made herself ready, completely ready for his return, by dressing herself in preparation for his coming. Revelation 19, 7 and 8 tell us this, Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. This reflects the basic biblical principle that future blessings are contingent upon present obedience. What it's telling us is that as we live lives of faithfulness and godliness today, we're dressing ourselves for the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're preparing ourselves for the full enjoyment of eternal life in God's presence. The marriage supper of the Lamb causes rejoicing and worship in heaven and on earth and forever removes the residents of the city of God from their painful conflict with sin and death and sorrow and the city of man. And the way we get ready for that day is by dressing ourselves in the righteous deeds of the saints today. By doing what we should to honor God with our lives. By being just with our neighbors. By being people of peace. By being those who take God's word seriously. Every time we do something that honors the Lord, we're getting dressed and ready for that glorious day. The doctrinal point is that today the city of God is preparing herself for eternal blessings at Christ's return. Have you ever been caught out? (laughs) Have you ever forgotten a doctor's appointment or perhaps a social obligation and then been made aware at the last moment that you were committed to be there? Embarrassed you dashed to the appointment dressed in clothes suitable for cutting grass or pulling weeds? You enter the event sputtering out apologies, explanations, and excuses, trying somehow to make up for the embarrassment of showing up dressed in the wrong outfit. Well, if you've ever done that, how did you feel? Do you want to feel that way on the day that Jesus comes back for his bride? Well, if not, you better be getting dressed for the occasion today. How do we do that? Well, the text is plain enough, isn't it? We dress ourselves for that day by doing righteous deeds today. And as we live our lives in a godly way, as we take care to follow the Scripture's directions about how to serve God and our fellow man in such a way as to give each one his due, we're getting ourselves ready for that day. Believer, don't be caught out. Make sure you're getting ready today for that day. Verses 11 through 16 speak to us about the return of the king. These verses picture the second coming of Christ, and an awesome picture it is. The word says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on it that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, 
and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What an awesome picture this is of the return of the King. When Jesus comes, he's coming back to set things right. He's coming back to take care of the earth and the problem of sin that has been troubling us ever since the Garden of Eden. He's pictured as the one who's going to come in power to judge the city of man. Christ is going to bring with him the armies of heaven. The saints of all the ages are going to return with him to establish his kingdom. And the wrath of God's going to be poured out on the city of man at Christ's return. A previous picture in Revelation 14, verses 14 through 20, shows that there are two things accomplished at Christ's return. The righteous will be harvested from the earth, and the rebellious will be thrown into the winepress of God's wrath. When Jesus comes again, he's going to settle the issue of sin on planet earth. The doctrinal point here is that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom and reign over all the earth when he comes again. When you were a kid, Christmas never seemed to come, did it? Uh, When you're looking forward to something you know is going to be wonderful, time seems to creep by and patience is required if you're going to not lose hope. We are waiting for the return of the king. Now be patient. Don't lose hope. Jesus is on the way. Who needs to hear this? Well, any who have had just about enough of this present darkness. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired over the chaos, confusion, confusion, and just plain filth that's going on around you? Have you had about all you can stand of the city of man? Well, just hang on. The king is coming. Patient endurance is needed as we survey the scene around us and long for Jesus' return. But he will come, and when he comes, he will reign. Encourage your heart tonight. The king is on his way. Now, the last set of verses we have, verses 17 through 21, speak to us about the last battle that will happen when Jesus comes. The judgment announced here is universally applied to all, great and small, everyone who rebels against the king. Verse 17 says, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Rebellious authority, the beast, and false religion, the false prophet, these two who have deceived humanity all this time are going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire and tormented forever when Jesus returns. 
Verse 20 tells us, And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who is in its presence, and had done the signs by which he had deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, and those who worshipped his image. These two are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now when it speaks of those who received the mark of the beast, those who have followed them by receiving the mark of the beast, have, are characterized by two things. I wonder if you know what the mark of the beast is. Some think that it's a tattoo or perhaps a barcode or maybe even a microchip that's actually placed on people, but I'm not convinced of that. I think what's meant by the mark of the beast being on the forehead of people and on the hand of people is that people's minds have become so twisted and corrupted by Satan's lies that they can no longer think straight. And their hands have been so corrupted because of the deceit of sin that they're continually doing evil. That certainly was the case just before Noah was judged. God said, I can't put up with this anymore. Every thought is a, a foul thought, and the actions of their hearts are nothing but violence. Dear ones, it seems to me that that's the mark of the beast. And when Jesus comes, he's going to resolve that. It says that all of those who are like that, who've taken that mark, are going to be slain by the sword that comes from the mouth of the king. When the king returns, he's going to finish the city of man by dealing with all who live under its sway. The doctrinal point is that all who refuse the grace of God are destined for inevitable destruction when Jesus comes again. You know, evil weighs us down. Those who insist on living by lies and dishonesty and violence against their fellow man place a burden on the hearts of all who witness their unrighteous deeds. And sometimes it seems that this load is almost too hard to bear. We need to know that in the end, justice will be served. When Jesus returns, all who oppose God and his righteousness will be brought to justice. Now, who needs to hear this? Any who feel that justice has been denied them under the kingdom of man need the hope that comes from knowing with certainty that when Jesus returns, he will deal with each man and woman according to the demands of perfect justice. Now, were it not for his bearing our sins upon himself at the cross, this thought might terrify us. But our Bibles tell us that perfect love casts out fear. And the perfect love of the cross keeps you and I from being afraid of this day when it comes. But still, our hearts long for justice toward those who have refused that perfect love and who treat others unjustly. Justice is a good thing. Comfort your heart. When Jesus comes, he will surely put things right. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. God's big story. That's what we've been looking at in this series. And tonight we've started our look at restoration, which we'll conclude when we get to Revelation 21 and 22 in our next Sunday night together. You may be thinking, wow, where's restoration in chapter 19? All I see is judgment. Yes, it's true. It's about judgment. But remember, judgment always precedes restoration. You can't put things right until you've corrected the wrong. 
Jesus is going to return, and the final restoration of humanity and planet Earth will begin with this judgment when Jesus comes. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't get to wait to get to the glory in chapters 21 and 22. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that judgment and justice will come because that's a good thing. It's a right thing. But we thank you that that's not the end of the story, that the story then goes on to talk to us about the glory that's coming. And we look forward with eager anticipation to that. But help us as we live in the time that we're waiting for you to come, not to lose hope, but to wait with patient endurance as we dress ourselves in the righteous deeds of the saints and get ready for that day. We'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.